Welcome to the Refuge Recovery Podcast. Refuge Recovery is a worldwide community of people who are using the practices of mindfulness, compassion, forgiveness, and generosity to heal the pain and suffering that addiction has caused in our lives and the lives of our loved ones. This podcast is for all those interested in and all those already practicing refuge recovery to find freedom from addiction of all kinds. To support this podcast and your refuge recovery, please donate using the link in the show notes. And community is our topic for tonight. We are on the third aspect of the Eightfold Path, which starts um, the next three, community and action and livelihood, which are the section of the Eightfold Path, which can be contained under the topic, the um, the basket, the uh, collection of the path, which is about ethics, about how do we practice, uh, sometimes referred to as morality or ethical way of, of being, of living, of um, training our minds and bodies and uh, how do we show up in community? How do we uh, communicate with each other? And um, this is a very important uh, aspect of the path. Uh, all of the Eightfold Path, as we learned in the first factor, um, has the foundation of understanding cause and effect and that we are seeking the uh, effect of recovery. We're seeking the uh, outcome of freedom, of awakening, of happiness, of a sense of ease and well-being. And so what are the causes? What are the actions? What are the attitudes? What are the practices, the trainings that are going to lead us, that are going to cause freedom? cause we want the effect of freedom what's the cause of freedom so that's part of the perspective of uh, abstaining from behaviors that are going to cause suffering that are going to cause relapse that are going to cause ignorance and confusion in our life or in the world and uh, developing practicing strengthening the causes for recovery, mindfulness, mindful speech, mindful listening, mindful uh, participation in community. Community is central to recovery. Um, we can't do it alone. We need each other. We. Um, we need to gather regularly. One of the things that the Buddha said, uh, you know, while he was still alive, he said, as long as people get together regularly and practice and discuss the Dharma, these teachings, this truth, he said, then, then, then this tradition then will thrive. As long as we gather together in community, as long as we take refuge in each other. We need each other. 
and um, you know this last two or three months now of sheltering in place and quarantine and social distancing has been such a challenge because uh, those of us in recovery we know we need each other um, and it's been so challenging to not actually be able to connect in person and somebody just uh, Phaedra on Instagram just commented that's why the online meetings have been so helpful during this time and I agree um, that in place of face-to-face -face human contact this kind of medium of at least getting to communicate a little bit through social media. As I said, my intention is to start moving these groups over to Zoom so then you can see each other, I can see you, we can uh, actually speak to each other. Um, that kind of modern technology of Sangha of trying to connect when we can't actually be in the room together. So I'm going to read and do some commentary on uh, the book, chapter 7, page 49. Chapter 7, Communication, Community. We take refuge in the community as a place to practice wise communication and to support others on their path. We practice being honest, wise, and careful with our communications, asking for help from the community, allowing others to guide us through the process. We practice openness, honesty, and humility about the difficulties and the successes we experience. community. A central and integral aspect of the, of the recovery process is being involved in community. It is our hope that Refuge Recovery will provide that community for you. But if it doesn't, perhaps because there is not a program yet in your area, we implore you to find communities that can offer refuge. Now, of course, this was written, I wrote this um, with the grand aspiration that refuge recovery would become uh, available across the world, across the country. Um, at the time that I wrote this, there were maybe 10 meetings in existence. And then within the first year, there was a couple hundred and, you know, five years in, there was close to 800 uh, meetings and the sort of people found this and you started the meetings and the community rose. But still, even when there were 800 meetings, um, and, and even though we lost so many in the incredibly unfortunate split and division that happened, um, even with hundreds of meetings, there are people in rural places that don't have access to in-person refuge meetings. And it's one of the reasons why it's so um, important to access these online communities. And from the beginning of Refuge Recovery, we have provided uh, online meetings. And now with 
COVID and the lockdown, there's so many meetings and all of us have seen uh, what a wonderful uh, support it is to have um, these sort of virtual connections. Many of our members have found great support in 12-step communities and or Buddhist communities while trying to build the support of a refuge recovery group. If a group doesn't exist in your area, we encourage you to start one. I want to say that again. We encourage you to start a meeting. All of this, the hundreds of refuge meetings that have been created, are from people like you, people like us who've said, I want to do this. It doesn't exist here. I'm going to start a meeting. I'm going to get it posted on the website and I'm going to um, show up. And I'm going to pay the rent and I'm going to show up and see who shows up. And very few meetings failed. Almost all of the meetings that uh, were started, people showed up. People, you know, even if it took a couple weeks or a couple months, people showed up. And then many of those groups grew to dozens and dozens of people. So um, as we're in this process of sort of rebuilding refuge and reestablishing uh, communities where, where meetings were were lost, um, please consider um, start a meeting and people will show up and this will be a, a great service. You'll be a great benefactor to the people in your community that will come after you. Uh, all of the information is uh, on the website refugerecovery.org to start meetings. Having a community to practice with is important on several levels. As recovering addicts, we need like-minded people to guide us, to inspire us, to support us, and to challenge us when we get stuck. The Buddha felt that community was so important that he included it in the traditional ritual of taking refuge or committing to the path of freedom. Committing to that path, dedicating our life to recovering our Buddha nature, consists of committing to awakening, understanding the truth about reality, and participating in community. From the perspective of recovery, we need communities that include every type of recovering addict. Those with more time and experience become our mentors in what the Buddha referred to as spiritual friendships, guiding us on the path to recovery and inspiring and encouraging us to do the hard work. The more wisdom and compassion those spiritual friends have, the more compassion and kindness they show to us and others. In addition to helping us understand reality and respond with compassion, the wise beings who are our mentors urge us to continue on the path of recovery when it gets difficult, when we feel like giving up. This support for abstinence and recovery in a world that conspires to keep us asleep is an invaluable aspect of any sincere desire to recover. So this is the part where we introduce uh, the importance of mentoring each other. 
And um, I know that the way that this is written, it sounds like, you know, to be a mentor, you have to have wisdom and compassion and, and kindness and, and that it's quite easy for people to say like, well, I've been in recovery for a while, but I don't feel that wise. I don't feel that compassionate. Um, and then it's kind of slows people down. I just want to say here, and it might, I might go on to read it, but um, I just want to encourage people to, to mentor each other. Um, we do ask that you finish your inventory. Do your first and second truth inventory. Establish a regular meditation practice. And then raise your hand and say, I'm here to help. I've been through the inventory and I've shared it with somebody and I'm, you know, and I'm ready to help other people go through these inventories, establish the meditation practice, be of service. So again, I just really want to encourage everyone that's listening that tonight live or listens later, watches it later to uh, do the work so that you can be a mentor. Um, uh, being a mentor is so um, beneficial to our own recovery, that the opportunity to be of service, uh, get out of our self-centeredness. It feels so good to help each other. So just deep, deep encouragement, a little push towards if you're not mentoring already, do the work, get ready, mentor people, be of service in that way. The experienced members of Refuge Recovery Community can serve as mentors, challenging and supporting us in the places we get stuck. They can also act as a sounding boards for newly recovering addicts as they work towards new insights and healing. Those members of the community with less experience in recovery can also be a valuable service. Those who are difficult can be our greatest teachers. They help us see clearly where we are on the path. This is made clear to us through our ability to respond with understanding and friendliness to those who need us or who push our buttons. Difficult personalities are a mirror for the places where we get stuck in judgment, fear, and confusion. I hope that, you know, just reflecting on uh, where you're at in the process of developing your own wisdom and, and process of recovery and the ability to share that with others. Uh, and then the humility that says, you know, sometimes I'm the difficult person in the room that um, is suffering, is complaining, is stuck in some fear, is, um, and that rather than not showing up when we're suffering. We show up, we share our suffering with each other, and we um, allow other people the opportunity to tolerate us and to have compassion for us and to, to be of service to us. Since the freedom we seek is a relational freedom, a state of awareness, skillful actions and communication that is connected to and in relationship with others. Community allows us to put into practice wisdom and compassion towards all beings, even the people we might not necessarily gravitate toward naturally. And this is one of the amazing things about being in any recovery communities and refuges, you know, just 
just the same. A whole bunch of us who wouldn't normally socialize um, come together to support each other in the common goal of recovery and with the common uh, suffering of addiction that led us to, to this path. And we share this practice, we meditate together. Every refuge recovery meeting, we meditate together. We then discuss the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path. And, um, you know, we come in to recovery confused and needy and judgmental and afraid. And, and then uh, we slowly heal, we slowly recover. Every meditation, every meeting, every act of service, of kindness, of generosity, part of our process of uncovering and of recovering some wisdom, some compassion that's always been here, but that we didn't have access to. So moving on to the second section of this chapter, which is about speech, communication. Our guiding principle is the non-harmful use of communication. Having firmly established the correct view, having firmly established the correct view, understanding, thought, and intention about the path to recovery, we must then align our actions with these intentions. This includes realizing the power of communication to cause harm or to bring about positive change and happiness. When we have wise intentions, we abstain from speaking harmful words. The Buddha classified speech that is harsh, malicious, vain, untrue, or gossipy as being a harmful misuse of communication. Being wise and careful about what we say, write, and otherwise communicate, <clears throat> otherwise communicate will help us in our process of recovery, and it will build a safe and welcoming community. Without mindfulness, we tend to just blurt. <laughs> Most of us tend to just blurt. Um, uh, you know, kind of reactive, you know, judgmental, opinionated. Uh, I like this. I don't like this. That's cool. That's not cool. As we bring mindfulness to how we communicate and we align our intentions, the second factor, with non-harming, with kindness, with friendliness, with uh, generosity, then how we communicate with each other begins to change. A good basic guideline for our communication is to reflect on whether what we are saying is true, useful, kind, and appropriately timed. True, useful, kind, and appropriately timed. So we have to pause. If we're just blurting, then sometimes uh, we're exaggerating, it's not totally true. We're minimizing, we're omitting some part of the truth. Um, and then is it useful, that reflection, that mindful awareness of, is what I'm about to add to this conversation, is what I'm going to share in this meeting, or uh, how am I going to respond, 
is it a useful response? Is it going to, you know, kind of, we have to um, be attuned to who we're speaking to, uh, to the room, to the environment. Uh, is this an appropriate communication here? And um, is it useful? And then are we coming from some level of friendliness or kindness? And, uh, and lastly, is this the appropriate time? I want to communicate this. Is this the time to communicate it? Or is this going to, um, you know, maybe this should wait till later. Uh, it might not, you know, in, a, in a, a crowded room, maybe it's not the right time to confront your friend or to uh, argue with your partner or, you know, to just kind of pause with mindfulness and think, mm, this is true, it's useful, I think it's coming from a place of kindness, but maybe right now is not the right time to communicate it. So just reflecting on that, bringing mindfulness to our communication. There may be times when we are honest in what we say, but our words are too brutal or harsh. There may be other times when we are deliberately being kind with the words we choose, but what we are saying is not totally true. Rigorous honesty is our core intention, but we also must pay attention to the timing of our delivery or whether or not it is even useful to say. Sometimes it is best to wait for a private moment with someone to tell them a difficult truth. If we just blab the truth in front of others, it may be inappropriate or unkind. We all know the consequence of dishonesty. When we lie, we live in fear of being caught or with the guilt of misleading others. Many, as a, many of us have spent time, have spent our lives making up stories about who we are, where we came from. Those lies build on one another until we don't know what we, have what we have told to whom. When we come to the path of recovery, it takes some time and much intentional practice to learn to be rigorously honest with ourselves and others. So I just want to pause here and acknowledge that what uh, Refuge Recovery is asking, what the Buddha taught here, is a very high level of integrity. And that um, we're not going to be able to do this perfectly. We're not going to overnight um, become uh, really wise and skillful and, and kind and, and you know, appropriately timed with our speech. This is all a goal. Remember that these eightfold path is spokes. And so we are uh, practicing this spoke. We are tightening, we are reinforcing um, with the humility to accept that we will fuck it up. And, um, you know, and even, even that, even swearing, and maybe it's addressed here, but, uh, you know, to some people, swearing is perceived as harsh. And to most of our community, uh, I believe swearing is uh, endearing and makes us feel comfortable and at home. But it's all in the, um, you know, uh, perceiver, the person who we're communicating with. 
Here it is. Harsh speech has been the habit of many of our members for most of their lives. We've always loved the power and shock value of swearing. For some of us, even years into recovery, our vocabulary hasn't changed much. But our intentions have changed a lot. Some of us stop swearing altogether, and others still swear quite a bit. But now, the use of swear words serves more as an exclamation point to illustrate our sentiment than a sword drawn to cause harm. It is our feeling that swearing isn't always harsh or malicious. Like everything else, it depends upon our intention. In this case, our intention in using the language. There is also a difference between talking about someone who isn't present with the intention to cause harm or with the intention to share concern. Most of us have felt the effects of gossip or the he said, she said game. When we look at our intentions behind gossiping, we often realize that we seek power through sharing information. This is not a useful form of communication. Now, though many of us still get caught up in gossiping, we can bring mindfulness to what it feels like and to what our motivations are. This can help us become more aware of the negative consequences it may have. As far as being on the receiving end of gossip, it can be wise to take on the attitude that anything people say when we are not present is none of our business. That piece of advice can save us from a lot of suffering. Try that for a moment. Anything that people say about you, gossip about you, when you're not present, is none of your business. Anything that people say about us when we're not present is none of our business. It can save you from a lot of suffering. Basing our communication on the principle of kindness is key. What the kind thing to do what well, the kind thing to do is will change from situation to situation. And kindness does not always mean it will feel good to say or to hear. Sometimes we have to say things out of kindness, even though we know our, wor our words will hurt someone's ego or feelings. The Buddha spoke of the inevitability of praise and blame, fame and disrepute, pleasure and pain, gain and loss. Here it is important to accept that while some will offer praise, others will place blame. Once you begin the recovery process, you will find that some people will be very happy for you and praise you for being in recovery. Others will be critical and blame you for selling out or giving in, like when they say recovery is for quitters. Sorry about that dad joke. Such an important piece here. I just want to revisit it. I want to just uh, reiterate the inevitability that some people will praise us and some people will blame us, will criticize us, that it's impossible. It is a losing proposition to try to get everyone to love us and everyone to think highly of us. Um, it's just impossible. 
and there's just too much ignorance in this world and and, and just too much confusion to be able to um, you know get people to uh, not be confused or to see us clearly or um, so praise and blame we have to learn to live with that uh, fame and disrepute so some people will love us will be famous in their eyes and other people will hate us and will have you know bad reputation disrepute likewise with pleasure and pain um, impossible to avoid pleasure impossible to avoid pain we have to accept the impermanent nature of the arising and passing of both the pleasant and unpleasant aspects of life and gain and loss it's just the way it is here um, you know we will be met with we will gain things that we don't want <laughs> we will gain things that we do want we will lose things that we don't want to lose people relationships jobs loss part of the fabric of living in this world of impermanence uh, and then some things that we lose we're so happy because we've been trying to let go of um, gain and loss practicing speech that is true useful kind and appropriately timed is our intention as recovering addicts intention we're not going to do it perfectly but we're going to try it's our intention in our meetings and meditation groups we have the opportunity to practice communicating with one another when we gather we share our struggles and successes with others discussing the difficulties we encounter as well as how our recovery is progressing humility is a very important is very important when we speak about our recovery to stay open and honest while also staying right-sized while we are in while we are in recovery we need to be able to strike a balance between not allowing our ego to do all the talking and not letting our low self-esteem to only present what is wrong with us remember that all intentional acts have a karmic consequence this includes every form of communication as we bring mindfulness to our thoughts and feelings we will begin to see more and more clearly what our true motivations and intentions are with clarity of intention comes renunciation with renunciation comes wise communication this whole process takes applied effort and it will lead to freedom from addiction and all other forms of suffering so um open to your thoughts about this third factor of our eightfold path of recovery as we uh, commit to participating in community to being of service to each other to tolerating each other to uh, being patient and compassionate 
to mentoring and allowing ourselves to be mentored, finding this balance that the book talks about between celebrating our successes without letting it, the ego get so uh, carried away, so inflated by it, uh, admitting our failures when we've been unskillful, the humility uh, to admit when we've done something that we regret, taking responsibility, asking, making amends, asking for forgiveness. The community, the recovery community, is the perfect place to, to practice all of this. Um, It's not in the book, but I had, I had a teacher, I've shared this quite a bit, um, had a teacher, a Buddhist teacher early on, um, who said, Buddhist Sangha communities are like a rock tumbler. And he was talking about just the, you know, the civilian, not the addiction recovery ones, but um, just talking about the Buddhist community. He says a rock tumbler, he says, everybody that finds themselves in a Buddhist community has jagged edges, they have suffering, they have their views and their opinions and their, their suffering and they're jagged. And then we come into community and by practicing wise communication and tolerating each other, and he said, it's like you're entering into a rock tumbler, all of us. And I feel like this is such a perfect for refuge recovery, like refuge recovery is the rock tumbler. And we all come in with our jagged edges and you're just, we bounce up against each other. We go to the meetings, we go to the online meetings. We feel like people don't like us. We feel like there's clicks. We feel like all of the feelings that come up. Um, and we stick with it and we communicate it and we share about it. And through bouncing up against each other, the relational friction of communication and contact and conflict and compassion and forgiveness and we start to smooth out our jagged edges. The rock tumbler of the Sangha does that for us. So, um, and again, encouragement, mentor each other. Finish your inventories and mentor each other. Stop procrastinating. You're at home most of the time anyways right now. Um, finish your inventory. There's no, there's no reason to procrastinate on that. I know it's a lot, but it's a lot of healing. It's a lot of uh, vitamins. It's a lot of purification of your own karma. Like, do this work. It will set you free. It's worth doing. I see a question here from Facebook that said, from Dana that says, how do we set and commit to our intentions. Over and over, we set our, you know, this is the, the, the second factor. We set the intention to be kind, to be honest, to be nonviolent, to be, you know, we set all of our intentions. And then we forget. So then we have to reset them. And then we, you know, we're, this, this whole thing is an uphill battle. It's an against the stream experience because the human condition, and especially the addict, driven by greed, driven by hatred, driven by self-centered delusion, and then to all of us inside and say like, hey, I'm gonna not be stuck in craving all the time. I wanna be generous, I wanna be loving, I wanna be of service. We can't just change that overnight, but we set the intention, okay, I, I feel selfish, but I wanna be generous. 
my intention is to be generous. I feel angry, but I want to be uh, kind. I feel afraid, but I want to be uh, accepting. And so we set these intentions, and then we just keep setting them. We keep setting them. Um, in your morning meditation, you can go through your intentions. Every day as you sit on your cushion, you can say, you know, my intention today is to be kind, is to be generous, is to be mindful. My intention is to ca not cause harm, um, to practice wise communication, to show up, be of service. Just like remind yourself, get those neuropathways of positive intentions going. And then you forget, so then you have to say it again and again and again. And then over the days and months and years of your recovery, it will become more natural. Your mind will become trained uh, and your attitudes will shift and your intentions will become more and more wise. Any other questions about community or communication, speech? I feel like one of the places that it seems like people really throw uh, wise communication out the window is um, in posts on social media. And so here I am streaming on social media and uh, we've just seen so much gossip, so much uh, people attacking each other, so much harmful communication. Um, and there's some way that people go to sleep when they're behind their keyboard. Um, or that, you know, and say things that I'm pretty sure people wouldn't say face to face. Uh, there, 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 there's this anonymity of, uh, you know, posting things on social media where people are there. The behavior is so terrible and the karma of that behavior is so tragic. Um, you know, karma applies to everything, including every single post. <laughs> and every single reaction and every single response and every time we're attacking someone with different beliefs or we're spreading some gossip that we, you know, heard um, or we're being harsh, we're being malicious. Like the karma of that we own. And in recovery, we're trying to clean up our karma, not make more messes for ourselves. So just a deep encouragement to remember you keyboard warriors out there <laughs> to come from a place of pure intention and kindness and and to not spread uh you know gossip and hearsay and to not uh, cause harm it's just not it's not worth the karma of it I see a question here on instagram from Thomas, it says, my main struggle now is more toward negative self-communication as opposed to communication with others. Curious your take on your own self-dialogue and delusional self-communication. Thanks, Thomas. Um, yes, that makes a lot of sense. There's a way in which we can practice some renunciation and no longer blurt out and no longer, you know, be so unskillful with our external communication, but then we still have our mind's tendency to uh, be comparing and judging and confused in, in one way or another, and, um, and we have to live with that mind. 
part of what happens in mindfulness and part of the, the Buddha's encouragement around mindfulness is when you notice those, what he calls unwholesome mind states, that judgment, that negativity, that self-centered, you know, bad advice that your mind is giving you. He says, if you can notice that it's just impermanent, just to let it arise and pass. Don't take the bait. Don't believe it. Don't, 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 uh, don't believe the hype that your mind is throwing at you. He said, if you can't just uh, let it arise in a pass, he said, try replacing it. So when you notice the negative mind states, bring in forgiveness, bring in loving kindness, bring in compassion. Intentionally try to replace the negative mind states with positive mind states. Sometimes you'll have success with that. Um, those are a couple of the uh, suggestions. My own experience, you know, is that uh, the, my internal uh, environment the, has shifted so much and the negative internal dialogue has decreased just a hundredfold. And there's still some negative internal dialogue. Uh, most of the time through mindfulness, I can watch it arise and pass. And sometimes I talk about how, you know, my mind will be giving me really terrible advice and uh, wanting me to be resentful or wanting me to, um, you know, seek revenge upon the people that have caused me harm or, you know, any of that kind of stuff. Um, and that most of the time I find that through mindfulness, through the practice of compassion and forgiveness, I'm able to meet even those confused thoughts with some wisdom and some compassion and not take it so personally and just see it as a thought uh, and, and one that's not uh, worthy to act on. Um, so both things happen. I was asked this today by someone else. Um, as we practice, our internal mind states drastically change. But some levels of negativity of what we call unskillful or afflictive emotions, unwholesome mind states, never go away. The Buddha talked about his own mind never having been perfected. He said, there's this part of my mind called Mara. And Mara, even after liberation, continued. Now, after awakening, the Buddha said, now I just relate to that part of the mind that is critical, that is judging, that is craving, that is, you know, uh, unwise. He said, I just refer to it as Mara. And when those mind states come, I say, I see you, Mara. So try that. When those mind states come, delusional self-dialogue, uh, just say, oh, Mara is here again. These thoughts, these confused parts of my mind, they're never going to go away. My only hope is to have compassion for my own poor confused mind, to meet it with loving kindness, to not take it so personal, and to say, I see you. Couple questions here. Um, Kevin is saying, when I was new, I needed at least one meeting a day. We only have four meetings a week here. How are newcomers supposed to make it in this program? And how can we help the newcomers make it without telling them to go to NA or AA to 12-step programs. Um, you know, I mean, the, 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 that part of the book does, you know, encourage that. Of, uh, if you don't have a strong enough community, 
and you feel that you uh, really do need a meeting every single day, you know, now there's online meetings. And now that COVID has happened and others, there's going to continue to be online meetings every single day. So if there's only four meetings in your area, the other three days a week, you could go to online meetings. So I think that that's the current solution. And then a lot of people do find that they like to go to 12-step uh, meetings and, and go back and forth between refuge and 12-step. So um, I, don't, I don't think that we need to encourage people who don't want to do that to do that. But it's an option for many people. I was been told by people that they, they really hated 12-step um, because they felt like 12-step was they, that they were doing it wrong because they didn't come to believe in God or something. And... Um, and that they were being sort of judged, but that once they found refuge and had this Buddhist model, this non-theistic, mindfulness-based wisdom path for recovery, then they said they felt very much more comfortable going to 12-step meetings. Um, so, you know, I don't know what you think about that, Kevin. I hope that that helps. But right now I would just say in-person meetings as much as we can and in the meantime, it's all online. And then even when it's not online, there's still going to be online meetings every day. So if there's not a local meeting in your area, hit the online meeting that day. Connect with people from all over the country who are connecting with those online meetings. Next question. Philip is saying, uh, I've been struggling to communicate at all and or honest with friends from pre-recovery who are often intoxicated. Any advice on on communicating at all or honestly with our friends who are still from pre-recovery who are often intoxicated? I mean, my first thought is um, it's okay to have boundaries and to not communicate with people when they're intoxicated absolutely skillful to put a, a kind of a boundary and and to let people know i'm not uh i'm not able to communicate with you until you're sober when you're sober i'm happy to if that's true um those kind of boundaries are okay some of this i think is just you know to look at the um the love that we have for our friends that are still using still um still in in whether they're addicts or not um, and the attachment and the sort of fear, the ego fear of like, oh my gosh, I don't want to be a jerk by confronting them too much. But um, it is important to, uh, especially if they're a, a good friend, um, to, you know, to put that boundary and then to just to be honest, to say like, I love you and I don't want to talk to you while you're intoxicated. And... Um, Call me when you're sober. And if you call me when you're not sober, I'm not going to talk to you. Um, I think that that's actually a healthy, healthy boundary to put in our lives for most of us. There's, um, I hope that's helpful, Philip. There's a question on Instagram about uh, how would one try to find a mentor during the COVID times new to recovery? And another person saying second that uh, question. Um, I know for a fact from that uh, a lot of people are finding mentors 
through the online meetings. You go to the meetings, there's a process at the end of most of the meetings where people can raise their hand. Um, and so you get a virtual, you know, you get the phone numbers and you, um, you know, the emails and you have some, you know, FaceTime, Skype, Zoom mentorship. Um, so you can absolutely find a, um, you can absolutely find a mentor online. Come to a lot of the online meetings. And again, I said it earlier, but I just want to encourage people, finish your inventory so that you can mentor and that, you know, there's not this going to be this issue in refuge anymore. I would like to see every meeting, people raising their hand, lots of people raising their hand. This is part of our recovery. We are of service to each other. Yes, we need to finish these inventories, but be of service to each other. So, um, please. Uh, I see a question about looking for a therapist. I don't feel like I can address that here. Um, but I wish you, wish you well with that. Um, AJ is asking, I've been having a hard time focusing while trying to meditate. Any recommendations to improve concentration? Uh, I have two recommendations, AJ. One is, and this is the most important one. Stop trying to concentrate so much. Let go of the need to be super focused. Give yourself more room to just get your ass on the cushion or the chair and come back to the breath or the body or the feeling tones, whatever practice you're doing. But do it gently and let go of the idea that you need to be super concentrated. Be gentle, be patient, just practice. It doesn't matter if you're super concentrated or not. Just practice. And by just practicing, by just getting your ass on the cushion, you will uh, find that you probably increase your ability to focus and your concentration increases. But don't try to force it. Just sit, let your mind wander, come back gently. Let your mind wander, come back gently. Do third foundation of mindfulness practice where you just observe the wandering thoughts of proliferation of memories and just watch it. Know you're here sitting, set your timer for 30 minutes or listen to a guided meditation. Let go of the idea that you need to be concentrated. I think that's, you know, I could give you some other tools about concentration, but my own feeling is it's not that important. Mindfulness is the true solution here. So uh, only a little bit of concentration is necessary. And if you can stay on your cushion, you're concentrated enough to be mindful. So um, some questions about mentor. Is there a set recovery time to be a mentor? I feel like there might have been something in the book, um, although I forget what I said in there about the time. My sense is that uh, I might have set too high of a bar for mentors. I continue to feel like, um, you know, the people with a little bit more experience can help the people with less experience. So, 
uh, I just encourage people to, um, you know, there's that, maybe it's 12 step, the kind of the person with two days can help the person with one day. So, um, I, uh, I don't think that there's a set recovery time. Just help each other. Um, and do your inventory and help each other and meditate every day and help each other and pass it on and maintain abstinence from all recreational and all bottom line behaviors. We can do this. We do it one day at a time. We do it one moment at a time. We do it one breath at a time. And we don't do it alone. We do it together. Uh, somebody was saying that in the book, I said one year of sobriety plus having done the inventories and some retreat time. Uh, when I revise the book, I will lower the bar. I don't think you have to be sober for a whole year, or recovering for a whole year to mentor each other. I think that, uh, you know, if you've been at it for a while, a few weeks, a few months, and somebody new is coming in, you can help them. I really just feel like we need to help each other. So I'm going to leave it there for tonight. Thank you for being part of the community. I'm uh, really happy to be part of the community with you. Uh, I'm not only a founder, I am a member, <laughs> and I love Refuge Recovery. Thank you all for joining me this evening. And um, see you next week where we'll get into the five precepts and the level of uh, renunciation necessary for our recovery and the uh, ongoing conversation about the importance of being ethical and wise and um, come to the online meetings the online meetings are great look forward to seeing some of you at some of those meetings and I uh, hope you tune in next week to join me for the next section Thank you for listening to this episode of the Refuge Recovery Podcast. To learn more about our program of recovery and to connect with others on the Refuge Recovery path, visit our website, refugerecovery.org, where you will find information, meditations, and links to both in-person and online Refuge Recovery meetings. This podcast is brought to you by Refuge Recovery World Services, a nonprofit created to support our network of Refuge Recovery groups around the world. Thank you for listening.